Time to solve real problems in every education by answering key questions to ensure that every child can learn. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Every Child Can Learn, and I'm excited to welcome again our the host of the show, Phil Maycomer. Phil, how are you doing? And uh, thanks again for stopping by. Oh, Neil, I'm over the top excited about today's episode for two reasons. One, to be able to share very effective strategies with our listeners for reading comprehension, but two, then to tie them to the launch of my second book, which is available in Amazon, titled the same as this podcast, Every Child Can Learn. It's perfect to have the podcast and the book. Wow. And, and that, that's a huge surprise. Everyone that has been really benefiting so far from the podcast needs to pick up, pick up the book as well. And so uh, a lot of exciting things uh, with what you've done so far with the book, but people can check that out via social media and everything. You know, when we talk about our topic today and always we ask a question and I love asking a question because it can really open up the audience and it says, what are effective instructional strategies for improving reading comprehension? We talked vocabulary on last the last episode. And what really was interesting about the whole vocabulary thing is that people forget there's multiple ways to teach vocabulary. The same thing comes when with reading comprehension, right? Absolutely, Neil. You know, I think that as educators, it's difficult to manage the pacing guides, the pace of how fast curriculum is sometimes delivered. And in my seminars and courses and in my mentoring and coaching with various team members, I highlight to them repeatedly, slow down, deliver things in bite-sized chunks because there is better retention and you will master a few things and master them well. Because if we slow down, we teach our students to slow down and also for them to master what they need to master, whether that's grade-based curriculum, whether it is a school-wide initiative on leadership or respect and responsibility, for example. Um, So I'm very excited to discuss reading comprehension today as it applies to slow and steady. Very important. Yes, slow and steady. Why slow and steady? Well, our brain can handle information coming in, in what our research shows, threes, fives, and sevens, meaning, like you mentioned, our last episode was on vocabulary instruction. Best to introduce three vocabulary words and then be able to not only understand what the word means, but maybe illustrate the vocabulary word out, and then come up with concrete examples and then apply it to the real world. Master three and then move on. Add two more, three, five, and then add two more, seven. The same thing applies to what we would call more complex text, like passages or chapters or sections of a textbook. And sometimes it's just an article from the internet that teachers will pass along. But I always say, again, do a few things and do them well. And so what I'd like to discuss today are two reading comprehension strategies that I recommend pairing together. And I call them the power of two. The 
First is breaking down the reading assignment in what I mentioned before, Neil, bite-sized chunks. So can we talk about what that means? Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah, bite-sized chunks means we take this little part, dive in deep, and then add another little part, dive in deep. Combine those two parts and add the next bite-sized piece. And in this way, we are building not only vertically in a tower of comprehension, but also horizontally. So the tower doesn't come, you know, tumbling down. And exactly. How, yeah. So like how that would apply to say you're reading a chapter of a book, for example. Let's just say randomly it's Charlotte's Web because I was just mentoring and coaching related to that language arts lesson recently. And I modeled this strategy. We took chapter one in this book. It happened to be Charlotte's Web, but this can apply to any book, Neil, because you and I've talked about a strategy is a good sound strategy if it could be applied at any grade level with any ability level and in exactly. any object, right? Okay. So in the first chapter of this book, many people know the story of Charlotte's Web. You know, this little piglet is born and it's very frail and it's very weak and the father wants to kill it. And the daughter is very, very upset about this. And she ends up calling her father out on it. And so bite-sized chunks is being able to deliver a part of that chapter. We could call it the beginning, middle and end if we would like to, or you could caption it out because captions really help kids remember what a part means much more than the word beginning, okay? So like, for example, a caption could be the problem. And then you read a section that is just tied in the beginning of that chapter to the problem of the father going out to the barn and wanting to kill the poor little weak piglet. The next part of the chapter, we have a caption of it that says the outcry for help. And that's when the daughter is just saying, that's not fair, it's unjust, just because he's weak, he shouldn't lose his life. And that's that section of the chapter. And then the next part of the chapter, she ends up convincing the father to let the little piglet live. And on the bus ride to school, she actually names him Wilbur. And so the caption we did for that was the meaningful bus ride or the happy bus ride. Those captions are helping students remember important parts within that chapter. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense for sure. Yeah, you know, sometimes we use very meaningful terms like beginning, middle and end without then tying what I would refer to as specificity, the specifics of what the beginning is, what the middle is, what the end is. And again, do you notice those were in threes, right, Neil? I took three sections of that chapter. And so that's one strategy is bite-sized chunks with captioning each bite-sized chunk. And so, like I said, that could be used for a book, but boy, it could be used in social studies right? Like say kids were learning about the United States versus Canada in a geography lesson and the different captions for those countries that they were learning and reading about might be weather and climate, 
and then they read that section of the, their textbook or their article or passage. And then the money exchange. Then we compare leadership and government between the two countries or population and the profiles of diversity of, of the populations. Bite-sized chunks, categorizing the information and captioning it with a header. And then I like pairing it with the next reading comprehension strategy, which is embedding a question and answer little study guide. Can I explain what that means? Definitely, please do that. So each bite-sized chunk should have at least one Q&A set where we pose the question and we give the student the answer of something that is very important to remember within that section of their reading assignment in their bite-sized chunk. So let's go back to Charlotte's Web. So the problem, the father wants to kill the piglet, right? So at the end of that section, which is captioned the problem in that chapter, there might be two questions. What does the father grab to yes. harm the piglet? Answer, the father grabs an ax and walks to the barn intending to kill the weak piglet. That is something we want that student to remember about that bite-sized chunk. And then you can select another question as well. We don't want more than three. Why? Because the brain works in threes, fives, and sevens. So if we have a set of, you know, three questions, no more than per bite-sized chunk, then we know that we're hitting all students in the classroom, meaning we're differentiating to those students that need extra help or are enrolled in special education services. But then you could have extra ones for those students that are above grade level and challenge them and actually maybe have them help write what some of those questions are for the remainder of the class. So we can empower kids of all abilities with these strategies. Sounds great so far. And I think it's just such a way to break things down in bite-sizable chunks so that the kids really can remember because reading comprehension is all about memory, but mm -hmm. without the prior knowledge and without the ability to comprehend the first couple lines, they lose a lot of what the story's about beginning, middle and end. If they're not taking learning, taking notes, kind of the way you're teaching it, you're teaching them to take notes at an early age to understand and take the most important information out of the passages. That's right. And, you know, sometimes I will refer to this as coming attractions like the captions above are really coming attractions of what you're about to read. No different than watching a trailer on a movie that you might wanna go see or a Netflix show, right? You just kind of wanna get an idea about what something is about. And when we give kids the heads up of the idea of what they're about to read, or this is the file you need to be in in your brain, Oh my goodness, it turns their brain into a sponge. They are able to absorb that information at a faster rate and be able to retain it longer because we're giving them those Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs. And giving those breadcrumbs are important because if you didn't do that, 
they're not going to understand it. And how, when you see kids struggle with reading comprehension, what is your feel? What, how do you, how, how do you see the frustration of that child when they're not able to comprehend? I think that it manifests in many different ways. One of the first ones is avoidance of task. So kids will say, I hate to read. Oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. Or they find a reason to have a behavioral outburst to then get kicked out of the class because they were avoiding yes. doing what they, they struggle with, right? And so I think one of our biggest jobs as educators is to give students the strategies and the tools to be as independent as possible to increase their self-confidence that they can do the work that they can be successful. And it's all about how you define success, right? Exactly. You know, I just even say, and you and I have had many conversations just in general about workloads and what you should focus on to like have your greatest impact to make a difference. The same applies to this topic. We cannot remember everything every little minute detail. We cannot expect our students to remember every single thing, but by pairing these two strategies for reading comprehension, the bite-sized chunks with captions and embed question and answer sets within those chunks, not at the end, but within the body of the text, we're teaching them that this is the most important information. We're highlighting that information that is important for them to remember. And we say, you don't have to remember every single thing, but these are the things that you will have as a file in your brain. And it's gonna get you to link ideas to other things that maybe we didn't even think about. And it teaches them to be independent thinkers as well. It definitely teaches them to be independent thinkers, and that's so important because once they're independent thinkers, then they learn on their own. They learn to read. They learn, they learn to read, not to know how to read, not just read, to learn, and then that's it's their growth will be tremendous. And Neil, I love the way that you said that because so many students, especially students in uh, special education beyond the grades of three and four are still working on learning to read because they have reading disabilities. But we still need to give them strategies on how to read to learn information. Bingo. Because that's the thing, reading comprehension. Okay, so tell me how important reading is in, I guess, prediction of how well they'll do in school if they learn to read. Oh, well, it's definitely highly correlated, which is not a surprise, right? Because you can, you could have some math deficiencies and still be very successful academically, just not math. But if you have a reading disability or a reading deficiency, it'll hurt every class. And let's think beyond K through 12 or pre-K through 12 toward your ability for employability, right? Yes. We want to make sure that kids are not just having the fluency of reading, like so many times with children, for example, on the autism spectrum, they might be what we would call hyperlexic, meaning, oh, they can certainly read at a very young age, meaning they can decode words, they see a word, they can read a sentence, or they could read the Titanic, 
for example. I remember serving on a child's team and the mom came in to a, an IEP meeting and she said, I just don't understand why my daughter truly at home at night, I hear her in her bedroom reading the Titanic and I go in and ask her a question about what she read and she can't answer one question about what she read. She can read the words, but she doesn't have the comprehension of what she's reading. And that is what we're talking about here is we want to make sure that students are tagging information as important less important. All right. Well, fantastic. Uh, and I think that, that that's the thing. And so the process, you talked about all the different types of strategies that help through that process. How do you identify, check for understanding and assess uh, as a teacher uh, that this, this strategy is working and they're comprehending? Well, first of all, you need to bring kids through all four brain-based tasks. And we've covered two of them uh, last podcast about building solid vocabulary skills and then certainly building and expanding reading comprehension. Uh, you are very familiar with the framework that I've authored called The Pact. You can find out more about that at aboutthepact.com and in Every Child Can Learn. Uh, so the four areas that your brain really works in are acquiring knowledge of words, and that's vocabulary, that's called the learn about module in the PACT framework. And then the read about module is what we're talking about today, building solid comprehension of content of that vocabulary in reading passages. And sometimes those students might not be able yet to decode all of that because they're still learning to read, but that's why we have technology to help them do that, right? Because we have many resources now that could read text to kids. But then immediately we need to move to assessment in the writing process. So can students take what they learned and read about and then be able to map out their thoughts in brainstorming activities, composing, being able to take quizzes and little mini tests on different things that they have read, learned and read about? And then can they speak more formally on the topic? So it's not a one and done. It's taking students. Not at all. No. Yeah. So, so the process is what you said, the vocab, then the comprehension. There's more to this before you can really assess if they're learning. That's right. And again, master a few things and do them well. So take your students through teaching that vocabulary on those bite-sized chunks, reading about those bite-sized chunks with the supports we discussed today, then immediately move them to some type of writing activity on what they just learned and read about, and then have a nice collaborative discussion or Q&A or a debate on whatever they learned, read, and wrote about. I often see that teachers will walk through parts of this with students, but they wait so long to do the writing and the, the speaking piece, the write about and the talk about piece. That, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, such a long period of time. Yeah, and everyone teaches, they just teach the vocabulary and the comprehension, but they miss the writing portion and the speaking portion are two ways to assess, especially special needs kids that can't write well, but if they can speak it well, then they're showing that they have the ability to do that. And there's other ways of assessing that later on through voice text, 
through word processor and all these things. But if you don't go to those next two, which I wasn't thinking about, Phil, because we we're thinking about reading comprehension, but you have to assess it through writing and speaking or you miss the boat in how to teach kids to read. Exactly. So let's do a little teaser for our next episode, Neil. I love it. Okay. Oh, so we've covered the importance of teaching vocabulary and some favorite ways to do that that I shared with people. Today's episode is on two pairings of reading comprehension strategies. And so let's make a prediction of what we're going to do in the next episode. And that would be on some successful writing strategies. So I really love, love, love to teach writing to kids. And I'm looking forward to that next episode or next few episodes on writing. And then for people that are getting value from this, please write a nice iTunes review or I don't a review also. I think uh, Chartable gives the ability also to write reviews. I have to look that out, but we're looking for an iTunes review or some sort of review on this podcast and that so that what you're gaining benefit from it. So more and more teachers and administrators and parents are exposed to this product. And if you're listening on my syndicated radio show, just drop me a line, make sure you share and pick up Phil's new book every child can learn. I won't forget that title, Phil. Thank you so much, Neil. Always a pleasure. But would I forget that title? Never. Okay. So uh, appreciate everyone listening to Every Child Can Learn. Check out Phil and all different social media platforms and aboutthepack.com, right? Is that correct? That's correct. And check her out on that, on her website and social media platforms, Google her, you'll find her. And we look forward to Every Child Can Learn next episode next month. So take care. Thanks for listening to Every Child Can Learn. Please visit Phil's website at aboutthepack.com for questions or comments.